This is Secrets to Win Big, your roadmap to sustained growth. Brought to you by Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango, brand whisperer, top brand growth driver, and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. Find him at zenmango.com. And now, here's your host, Arjun Sen. Welcome to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen. This is Arjun welcoming you to this edition of Secrets to Win Big. You know, winning is fun, but I've always found that winning big puts you on the path for long-term sustained success. And in this podcast, you'll hear from leaders from all around the world, all walks in life, share about their original, authentic path to success. My VIP guest today is William Espy. William Espy is the award-winning brand veteran who was the driving force behind Chipotle's unique brand voice for almost 20 years. That 20 years is very important to emphasize because consistency in a brand voice is something we want to talk about today. His focus on the authentic expression of the company's unique values, culture, and, and character helped create the foundation that made it one of the most successful brands by any measure. Today, he's the content creative director for Unbridled Solutions, one of the nation's top event production companies. He combines his branding expertise with his passion for connecting with live audience as a keynote speaker to assist organizations of all sizes in creating live and virtual events. In one sentence, if we have to summarize William's brilliance, William is a brand evangelist focused on shared values. Welcome, William Espy. Thank you, Arjun. <laughs> Seems a little grandiose, the whole <laughs> intro for me, but yes. And, and you know, it's like, I know you are a humble human being, but I have been fortunate to watch from the sidelines some of this, and that's the reason, you know, to me, my admiration is not just in words, but seeing what you have accomplished, and that's the reason I wanted to emphasize and you know break from the rules of just reading the bio. The twenty years is very important. So that's where I want to start by saying that not only it's an amazing accomplishment, but what I also find is this was one of the most authentic branding work ever done, because the brand's character and the voice really blended. So what would be some of the biggest success stories in that journey that you feel comfortable sharing? And what were the secrets to get there? Like, how do you get to that brand voice? You know, looking in terms of that and maintaining the brand voice and and what was developed, I think how it happened like it did and was able to be sustained over such a long period of time, you know, while I was there and ideally now that I'm gone, hopefully they're continuing in that vein, was the fact that we were doing it all wrong. Uh, according to how you're supposed to do it. And it wasn't, it wasn't that we didn't develop the brand through committee or through research or through strategy. What happened is it was just this sort of natural expression of our team, who we were, and then ultimately myself, of just doing what we thought was fun and entertaining and cool. And that was, I mean, it was a very luxurious time for I think the company for any company, because when Chipotle started in 93, there was absolutely nothing else in the landscape that was like it. If you think about 1993 and QSR, it just, it, it was truly revolutionary in what, what the founder had created. 
So when the momentum got rolling in terms of people discovering it in this new type of food and this it's delicious and it's it's made with all natural all natural ingredients to the point where we were pushing into food with integrity, that was just sort of self-perpetuating. And so as far as the marketing went, it gave us the freedom to not to worry about, oh man, I got to sell a burrito. It was how do I connect with my audience in an emotional way? How do I make this fun and entertaining in a way that I would want to have it be fun and entertaining and how would I want to be marketed to? So it was really this, uh, a very different way of approaching, I think, that equation of building the brand because we weren't doing it consciously so much as just unconsciously trying to connect. And I think that really is what came across overall over time is that people were interacting with truly interacting with a personality as opposed to an organization or a company. Now, I would argue now with my hindsight, and and this is something that I speak upon a lot, is, you know, all brands are personalities. All As we interact with brands in the world, we all anthropomorphize them and connect with them on an emotional level as if you're, you're interacting with a person. And so the brands that are really working on understanding who they are for their company, their customers, and are developing that, really have an opportunity to create powerful connections with their customers. When I, what we did at Chipotle is we did that, we did it very, very well, and we did it by accident. It wasn't by design. It was just like, let's make cool stuff. And people started connecting and connecting and connecting. And we just kept trying to do that because you you love the juice. You love the the, the recognition and the, the, the love that they would throw back at you. And it built this very powerful, I think, emotional relationship with our customers over time. So I look at like 15 years from, you know, 1999 to when I started till up until 2015, you know, that was really there was just a lot of love there, you know, and a lot of back and forth. And it was just absolute, this connection with the customer, I think through this process of just trying to be spontaneous and doing that. And then of course, 2015, the lesson there was that's when the E. coli incident happened. And that is a completely different lesson, but also it's reflected in the emotional relationship that our customers had with us. I think that more or less answers your question, but really the thing was that it was just the success story of that journey was was creating something spontaneous and authentic and people heard it, people felt it and and therefore connected with it on an emotional level. So here's a follow-up is, you know, most brands are attention deficit. We try to change the logo every few years, campaign, agency, everything. It's just like a new CMO comes in and somehow he just wants to, or she wants to leave his or her individual mark. In that kind of an environment, what was the secret to maintain what you just talked about over 20 years? Well, that, and that's, I think, key, too, is the egolessness of the team. It's not about you as an individual. And I think a lot of time what happens when you get a new CMO coming in or whatnot is there's this desire to imprint their, they've got to prove that it's them and that they're good. And they're, there's this, there's this a fundamental insecurity underneath that, that the individual needs to express themselves somehow at the detriment of the brand. And I think a solid person coming in and realizing, okay, it's not about me. It's about this thing, this, 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 this collective thing we're creating as far as the organization and the brand, that's got to take precedence. And I think that was, Probably one of the biggest lessons I learned over the time, because early on, you know, I was a creative and for 
10 years of that, my, my, my 19 years there, the first 10 years, I was the sole internal creative and was making all this stuff and, and just, you know, inside, it was a lot of collateral and a lot of in-store signage and posters and, you know, ads were very sparse. We would have like 20 a year that we'd run and rotate, but that was it. But most of the creative was happening more collateral and local store marketing stuff. But I, as a creative, my ego was too tied to what I was doing. I was really, I needed that affirmation. And so, you know, you, you create and you create and you create, and you're thinking that you're so important because you're perpetuating the brand and you're making it real and you're making it tangible and people are seeing your work and they're thinking it's funny and all that. But when I came to realize then, when I really started looking at the customer's experience overall and where their interaction with the brand was, I, I sort of had this epiphany at one moment, realizing that what I was generating in terms of creative was a, just a fraction of the customer's brand experience. That the, where it was really happening was when they were walking into the restaurants, they were interacting with the crew, they were getting their food. This is what was building that, that experience for them. And so, you know, the best ad in the world could never make up for a crappy restaurant experience. And a, and a great restaurant experience just eclipses the best ad you could possibly write. I mean, that was, that was really where it was happening. And so, that's when I, I, I realized I had to pull back my ego and my self-absorption and look at what, what that experience was for the customer, where the brand essence lies. And I came to understand at that point, it's like, oh, you know, for it to be branded in the restaurants, branded with our people in the restaurant in the line, it's got to be our culture. The culture, the brand has to live in, it has to come out of the culture because you're expecting these people in the line to interact with the customer in a branded way. And you, you couldn't give them books saying, here's how to sound Chipotle. You had to like, let's create an atmosphere where people are feeling this, this thing and this language and this, this casual attitude, but being serious about what we're doing and, and, and being dedicated. Let's, let's create a culture where that becomes natural for them to do that. And so I think it's important to CMOs come into a situation. If there's something clearly broken and needs to be fixed, great. But if you're just imposing something just so you can put your thumbprint on it. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't think that's the smartest thing to do because you really need to look at where is that culture coming from? And this gets into a whole thing that I'm obsessed with right now and it's values. So all organizations have values based on actions, all organizations. So no matter, you, you hear the word values and you think, oh, company's doing good things. No, values can be bad things too. I mean, for an example, you know, Philip Morris, they make cigarettes and can't argue that that's a great thing in the world to do. Sorry if you're going to do something with Philip Morris, but um, but as is an example of, you know, that, that company has values or specific things that they believe in, and they're trying to accomplish those things. And what happens is people start getting attracted to that and want to join that team, be it as a an employee who believe in those values and can, and can resonate with it. And then also that, that group of customers around that, that also believe in that, that values statement or that values position based on action, not on words. But what forms around those values is a culture. And that culture of people starts developing and, and starts creating this sort of interconnection of, 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 of what they believe in and what they want to accomplish. And ultimately brand is simply a, an external manifestation of that culture. So wherein I entered, entered in the equation thinking it's all about the creative and that's what branding is. I realized, no, I'm actually way out here on the periphery, just trying to express what's happening here on the inside. And I think CMOs, as they're coming into a situation, into an organization, they really need to be looking at those pieces. They need to decide what that core is 
and how it's going to manifest and how they can best manifest that those values and that culture to the outside world and not just do it out of their desire to 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 make an impression themselves but really create an authentic connection to the outside world with what's happening internally in the corporation and the organization you know william the impact you made is not just in the brand if you remember a long time back in 2004 5 somewhere there you came to speak at the university of colorado at a marketing class of five or 600 kids. And I was the lucky professor at that time, and you were very kind to come there. I think I got you in trouble for dropping an F-bomb, didn't I? Was that the- no, no. <laughs> I had permission for you to drop a few, but I think <laughs> those were good days. But when I recently asked six of them, and we were just talking about importance of education, it was unanimous that they went back to that one session that you came and talked about. That was their biggest drive to move wow. forward. And I also asked them why, because you know I just didn't want them to drop a name because I wanted to make sure that there's a reason behind. And this is what they talked about was, you showed them without feeling the passion and bringing it to emotion, that was the exact words, you should not be in marketing. And secondly, that feeling has to come from deep inside and you can share it with pride because that's one of the things that these students who are now amazing professionals told me was they always heard about the word pride, but they knew could never understand where pride comes from. And they saw in you where pride came from because it was totally consistent deep within. So I just wanted to share that with you for having an amazing impact. And, you know, most of us, if we have an impact on one person, that's more than zero. And for you to have at least five or six that I've talked to, which means you had an amazing impact. So again, thank you for being such a inspiration. So now let's move forward to your current you know, adventure. Because with you, it's never a job. It's always something way more with your values. So tell me a little bit more about and how you are taking your current, you know, in this opportunity, take it to the next level. Okay, well, yeah, so I'm currently with Unbridled Solutions, and it's one of the top 20 event companies in the country. And that was sort of a natural extension. I took some time off post-Chipotle with the change in leadership and the sort of change in the corporate structure there, trying to figure out where I wanted to land or where I wanted to go. And one of the things that has bothered me over the last 10 years, and which I personally was involved in, was the, the increase of, of the use of data in order to understand the audience in, in the advertising space, which I think is very, very important. We need to know as an advertiser, as a marketer, you need to understand with whom you're speaking in order to, to have a, a rational dialogue with them, in order to connect with them in a way that is meaningful for whatever it is that you're, you're offering to them. So this is, the data is important. What I found disturbing was the creative was being driven solely by the data. And more and more and more, you look in the advertising space, and there's so much overlap and repetition because so much of it is being generated out of the same space, out of the same thing as far as where is the data? What is it telling us? How do we, how do we create towards that? And I think a great example of this is just recently, I've seen these collage uh, videos people have done of COVID-19 advertising from different, completely different industries. 
and it looks like one spot. It's like three minutes of them editing all these spots together, and they look all exactly alike. And so what happens is when you're driven by nothing but data, you're giving up your brand personality, trying to be everything for everyone because you're just chasing that dollar. And which I know is a natural extension of being a publicly traded company. You need to keep your stock up. You need to have sales. But everyone ends up just sounding exactly the same because ultimately they're getting the same damn data. It, it undermines the strength of the brand. It undermines the position as a brand. Think of a person you know that you meet that you find is interesting. Well, they're interesting because they're, there's some solidity to that character. And they're, but if, if that, the people that you meet to try and be anything they need to be just to ingratiate themselves with you, it's like, no, it's like a salesperson who, great, I'll buy a pair of shoes from you, but God knows I'd never want to have a drink with you. <laughs> and that's the thing is that the brands need to understand is you, you don't want to be a shoe salesman. You want to be the guy that they're going to, they want to hang out with. Cause that's where, that's where continued loyalty and sales happen. So the event space where I am now, what I like about this is that is the one place currently where creative can truly be an expression of the brand because that is the moment when organizations are trying to connect with their people and, and express their values and their goals for their people. And, and so it's this sort of inside audience. And it's, it's a really a great opportunity for them to explore why they even exist, what their mission is, what their vision is, and how they can share that with their teams in order to help perpetuate that idea of values that begets culture, culture begets brand. So what I've, I've essentially done is pull myself away from that external conversation of branding and branding creative and move towards the center, working on, on organizational values directly and how those, those companies, those organizations are expressing those values to their internal teams. So it's all still who I was, but now I've moved it into this thing because I'm so hyper obsessed <laughs> with, with this idea of expression of values and how are we expressing them. So I want, I want organizations to be self-aware enough that what they actually do reflects what they actually say. So they, they walk the walk and they talk the talk and then being self-aware enough and it's like, okay, so if that's who, if that's us, then who are, who are we as a person and how are our customers connecting with us and how can our best, and how are our people, our, our employees connecting with us in a way that's more profound because ultimately it's going to be more profitable for them when they have a motivated and excited team that are connected to the sense of core values. And then likewise, customers who understand what that is, and they're seeing that through the messaging and the branding and the advertising and all that goes on. And it ultimately becomes more successful for everyone, but living in a more authentic way, no matter what they may be doing. So if you're listening, you just joined, you're listening to yeah. William S.P., brand evangelist focused on shared values. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> the person who is behind the driving force of Chipotle's unique brand voice for the first 19 years. There have been amazing takeaways thus far, but to me, the two big things that stood out are very simple things. Market, how you want to be marketed to. Then start with brand values, bring it to, based on that, create the culture of people. And your communication has to be the external manifestation of culture. And the, finally, the big aha, I think, William, is like the moment you said, I'm like, whoa, you know, how often have I been doing this? Is when you said 
that everyone gets the same damn data, which means, as you showed, the manifestation means if you let creative solely by that ad in different industries, you are creating the same ad. And that's the easiest way to lose your personality. Mm -hmm. So, William, you know, now I just want to go a little back by saying, how did you get into this career of a brand voice? Like, how did you get here? Oh, God, by accident. I, I mean, I know that's it's absurd. Jeez, this is really embarrassing. Yeah, so my degree was in econ. I graduated in the 80s, late 80s. Didn't know what I wanted to do. I, I mean, I was, I was so focused on academics that I really wasn't thinking about what I was going to do beyond that, which I now speak, you know, at your class, and I've been speaking up at CU for years, and always try and get the students to start thinking about what what is it that really they love and what should they be pursuing? Because I didn't think about that. So I ended up living in Boston for a period of time post after graduating from college. Big recession hit in 1990. A lot of people were laid off, especially happened in, in the New England area. And uh, so I was working as a writer for the Boston Redevelopment Authority. They were burying the highway through the middle of the city and I was helping redo the rezoning on that. Lost my job, didn't know what to do. A friend suggested, she said, you ought to go into modeling. And I thought, well, that's dumb because I'm a smart guy. Um, she goes, well, a smart man knows to use what he has when he's got it. And I'm like, well, okay, I can't argue with that. Um, and so and plus it might be free money. You know, you just get a picture. Uh, what, what ended up happening is I got picked up by an agency in Milan. And so I like, cool, I can be poor in Boston or I can go be poor in Europe. I can go be poor in Europe. And so I literally moved to Italy. This is like 1990. And was a model, an international fashion model, and lived in, in Milan uh, up until like 2000, no, in 1996. But what I did during that time is I found that my true calling was was creative. Because in any, with the, with the little money I had and the spare time I had, I was painting and painting. And my, my minor had been in art history, and that was really where my passion was. Uh, because uh, what I ended up doing for a living in terms of branding is speaking in metaphor and and symbol. And that's what art history and, and my other stuff that I was doing in religion as well, that all connected to that, this thing, this idea. And so how I ended up, I, I came back to Denver, had no clue what I was going to do. I was married at that point. I brought my wife back from Italy in 96, 97. I still did the show season back in Milan. It was permanent here in 97, trying to figure out what the hell to do with my life. Speaking to a friend of the family who is a financial advisor, I told him because I was econ, I was thinking I'll do that. And he's like, no, I told him my story and about painting and all that. He goes, you want to go into advertising. I'm like, okay, I got nothing to lose. Um, and so ended up with a small agency here in Denver that was very, very creative, Sukal Advertising. Was there for about a year and a half on the account side, which was totally wrong because I'm not good at that. Uh, and, and But it got me into the system. And then a gentleman who was working with us as a freelancer he became the first marketing director at Chipotle, a gentleman named Dan Fogarty. He really established what the Chipotle voice was. And so when I, he brought me in as one of the first hires to help sort of build out the department, and he had already established this tone, which was just so snarky and fun and so close to who I was already as a person that it was just, it wasn't a stretch for me to just start writing headlines. And suddenly I'm like, oh, we need this. I need on requests just start coming in. And so I just started writing. I'm like, oh, this is easy. And the layout, I basically self-taught myself in what was then Quark and then eventually InDesign. The balance of the early ads was simple. And so I just started doing 
and doing and doing and doing without thought again. This wasn't strategic. This wasn't a discussion of what the brand was, or I wasn't thinking of my career at all, unfortunately. Uh, I was just focusing on, on having fun and creating fun things. And so this just started building up around me. And organically, I became literally the brand voice of Chipotle because it was just me trying to express myself and doing what, and it was beautiful as it was nirvonic as a creative because I was both the creative and the client. <laughs> so if I liked something, it went out the door. And, you know, even if, you know, stuff that was like marginal and slightly offensive and occasion, but you know, as a creative, if you don't occasionally cross over the line, you're irre irrelevant. You don't know where the line is and, you, and the line is relevancy. And so if you don't occasionally step over it, you're like, oh, okay, you can readjust, you know, where it is. Otherwise, you're way over here and you're boring and no one cares. And so to be part of the, the irrelevant dialogue, occasionally that requires some mistakes, but that's where you know you are at. But that was the beauty of it, man. If you could imagine as a creative to just bang, hit send, and it's out there in the world, that was a, a really beautiful space to be. But that's how I got, I just sort of fell into this thing. And then my public speaking, I, I started speaking professionally about 10 I have an agent for about five or six years now, but that too came just organically because I was talking to audiences. You started it, man. You invited me to your class at CU. And then I was working in Mindy Cheval's class as well up there. And I got the pattern down and then I got picked up. The agency contacted me out of nowhere saying, hey, we'd like to represent you. And I'm like, this is a thing. Um, and it was amazing, <laughs> but it's just me getting up <clears throat> again, talking about what I know. And so that helped in terms of me getting into the event space now, because I have that experience as being both, you know, the, 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 the creator and the, the content for an event and then helping, helping executives now learn how to express themselves in a natural way. So it's all, everything I've done has been by accident completely. And so it's gone. Okay. I wish I had have had a more deliberate life at times, but I, I don't know. I would have probably been miserable. Yes, yeah, so to me, I think continuing on the series of accidents, welcome to the first ever fashion show hosted by Arjun <laughs> with international fashion model, poor in Milan. That was, okay. I was about 20 pounds lighter at that point. So, <laughs> so thank you for sharing that. And, and I think also, I think, you know, William, that's also an amazing example of, even though you are being very humble, is... You seeing opportunity, trusting yourself, because with that many changes, and that too, you were married with a family, you know, you had to feed the family, both of you had to. So there was a balance of risk versus trusting yourself to do that, you know, and you just invented yourself. And that's the reason you're here, you know, very happy for you. But also, I think, you know, really need to also emphasize when opportunities come, you know, they are not an accident. They are accident if you don't seize them. But in your case, you seize those opportunities. And this is the new evolution. Wish you the very best. So, William, here's a very goofy question. If William from 2020, you know, wise with, you know, some dark hair and talks to William, that young guy who is ready to go to Milan or even getting into econ, what would the one, you know, few pieces of advice be for that, for that young man? What I said before just now about being more deliberate, I think I would have told my younger self to be a little more intentional in what you're doing. That I, you know, look at my path and I've been incredibly fortunate in terms of what has come before me. And I would agree with you, Arjun, on a, a very hippy trippy level. 
it, everything everything is causal. There is everything mm-hmm. is causal, uh, and we could get into a very long conversation about the philosophy of causality, and and but that's not that's not this conversation. But so I've been very very fortunate because I've kind of accidentally had these things happen over the years. It's like that's great, awesome, and then I don't even think I was consciously making the decisions that things would happen. I would just like, oh look at this, a door, uh, it's open. I'm going to walk through that door, and I wasn't thinking about okay, what are next steps, and so. When I look back at my life and how I was living, oftentimes I'm thinking, oh, damn, that was dumb. I mean, I did some really stupid things and it worked out okay. But in the moment, wow, boy, as a father, I'd be freaking out if that was my son. And so, you know, part of me is go back and talk to that younger William and say, be a little more intentional. Be a little more aware of what next steps and possibilities are, because I could be arguably in a much better position financially right now. I'm okay. Everything's cool, but I could be in a much better position financially had I been thinking a little more strategically personally. And I think that's been part of my problem is that I'm, I'm a very spontaneous, intuitive thinker. It's just, it's about mm-hmm. the feeling and the flow about me. It's all about the, how does it feel? Does it feel right? It works. And I, I've been very poor at, 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 I guess, objective strategy. And I could have been better, more strategic, I think, over the years, but it may, and that might have ruined everything. And then maybe right now I would, you know, would be fabulously wealthy, but I would just be miserable. So, so who knows how that is? I think in the end I paid, played it out well, uh, but I think I would just have told him just just take a step back, be a little bit more inten- intentional. I would tell him to do that, and I also would have said buy Amazon immediately <laughs> as soon as that thing comes live. Buy as much Amazon as you possibly can. <laughs> I would have told him that, definitely. <laughs> but I'm still holding on to, you heard it first, William S.P. wants to be a little more strategic. Okay? A little more. Just a little more. So, William, <laughs> the last thing I just want to look at is I feel that your success has to have a process or an unprocessed because people who have a pattern of success over 20 years and now beyond it doesn't happen by chance. It can happen by chance one time. Okay? And that's the part where I always love to understand processes that people follow. And a question that I ask every person is, so William, when William wakes up, what's the first thing he does? And I'm talking about in a professional side. And what's the last thing before you're winding down? What's the last thing do you do? Is there a pattern or a routine that you would love to share with all of us? I'm from a from, I don't know, professional or personal, spiritual, I don't know. Right, because right, it's what all gets, connected, you know. I can't, yeah. we, we can't compartmentalize, at least yeah, for me. Absolutely. I, can't, I can't break those things apart. What I'm doing professionally is is tied profoundly to what I feel and believe personally because I'm I'm, I'm, I'm based on this this idea of values, what really I've been obsessed with now. And, and, and as a creative, when you, once you've opened that door, you can't stop the flows. They just, it'll keep coming up in your life and you try and ignore it or you're not satisfying it. It will show up someplace else. Um, I just finished this Soji screen yesterday. Uh, I already have a hole in it, mind you, but you know, you're doing stuff like this, you know, you gotta, mm-hmm. you gotta do. So I guess what happens to me in the morning is, you know, I, I get up and I, I, I like order. And so I'm, you know, putting, putting the kitchen back together, putting the, the, the dishes away from the, the dishwasher, but ideas are coming to me. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, and it's right now it's dialogue. So I, I write my notes, they come to me and I quickly, and quickly get the pieces down. 
and I, I, it's important in that moment for whatever reason that, and that's like that those shower moments in the morning too. when these things, ideas are popping into my head and I got to get those down then, cause I know I'll forget them later. I'll get distracted by 10 million things. Uh, cause there's a lot of distraction right now in our world, even though I'm working from home, my God, is it distracting, but it's getting that stuff down early in the morning is important. So I don't want to lose those ideas. So immediately get those, that stuff down. So that sort of starts the day in terms of getting that, that raw intuitional stuff that's just coming out of your brain, your, your unconscious brain, get that down as quickly as possible. So you don't lose it. Uh, and then in the evening, you know, that's, I've been devoting time now to, I'm, I've been writing a lot but not writing the way you wanted me to write, Arjun, that you told me that we were talking about doing a branding book and you gave me a brilliant arc on how to do that and the process of doing that. And the the realization I I came to after you and I met and we had that discussion was that I really didn't want to write that book. I just, I was like, there's so much, I've got stacks of them. There's a whole bunch behind you. Hopefully you've read all yours, but I've got stacks here that I'll never read and people will never read and people just write these things in order to be able to speak to them. And I didn't want to do that. And so what I've been doing, I've been working on a novel for the last, uh, well, it's been in my head for two years and I'm about 65,000 words in. Wow. Not quite at the halfway point though. This is, I'm still in the lead up, but my point is that's what I do in the evening is I, Mm -hmm. so the ideas that are coming to in the morning are things I need to integrate into that. Uh, And so I I work on it every night and I, I feel like I can't, I can't day write because I got to work. And so I save it for the evening and keep, you know, building it out and getting from one scene to the next. And how am I going to get from here to here and filling in those gaps? But really that, that creative process has been very cleansing for me and, and inspirational because with all the chaos that's going on, I needed to find some place where I could sort of escape. And this is a, a very powerful place and I think constructive place, space where I can escape and still be creative and still be generating something I think that ultimately will have value, if not philosophically, economically. Yeah, I'm just very excited. And I'm also excited that I could help you in that journey because the model that I shared with you, you were smart to realize what you don't want to do. But I wrote this whole book, which I thought was brilliant. Okay, the concept was brilliant called Marporations. Marketing and operations, finding a word which I thought nobody else thought of, wrote the whole book. And then I realized that's not a book I want to hold. It's just like you're getting married and you don't want to be seen in the picture with that person. So what's life going to be? So I never published the book, but you know, it has taught me think more before you spend time because I really applaud you for figuring it out before writing a book and then get to the novel. So wish you very best. So William, what would be the best way for all of us to get in touch with you? What would be the best way to reach you? Oh, LinkedIn is easy. You know, I'm there and I, I respond to it. People reach out to me all the time and I'm friendly as long as they're not selling stuff. I mean, people either hate it when they they link to you. I got a chiropractor who linked to me last week and then offered me a free 30 minute session. I'm like, dude, you know, coronavirus, I don't want you touching my back or anything. But anyway, yeah, LinkedIn is a great way for people to get a hold of me. Um, it's always current. So, so you can reach William SP and SP is spelled E S P E Y in LinkedIn. Yeah. William, this was incredible. Okay. I could go maybe an hour 
but I won't for how many things you shared. But some of the top nuggets that I want to bring in front of all of us are, you taught us today that core marketing starts from understanding how I want to be marketed to, because that's where respect starts. You also talked about how having an egoless team who still are passionate, who still care about the brand is very important, but it's not personal egos. It's all about the brand. You know, another one-liner which I think all of us need to remember is best ad cannot make up for a crappy restaurant experience. Yes. And I'm just a little bummed because nowadays you're using the word crappy and you have evolved. <laughs> yeah, then, I'm trying to be general. <laughs> and then, you know, another important thing I think is very relevant to us today because data is so easy. What you taught us right away was every person, including your competition, is seeing the same damn data. And if you just let the data, data is important, but if you let the data dictate everything and you want to be the robot driving it, that's the easiest way to lose your differentiation. Yes. And the two more things was, you know, when you talked about be more deliberate, more intentional, I really think it touched a chord and it will resonate a lot. And then, you know, at the end, I think this is so important that for us to trust that the big ideas are there in us. What do we do to create moments just like for you, you know, emptying the dishwasher, of course, taking a shower, all these are there. When you allow these to come to you without barriers, because that, I think, is us to believe where these big ideas come from. They are there. We just need to open the door and the window, and when they come in, lock them in. So, William, again, thank you. So this was such an amazing session. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you, Arjun. I really appreciate you reaching out. And, you know, anytime. I just I love talking to you, and it's always good to see you. I'm sorry we haven't been together in a while, but here we are virtually. So Absolutely. This was a pleasure. You know, thank you all for listening to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen. We will keep bringing you amazing leaders from all walks of life. I don't promise I can bring you another fashion model, but I'll try. <laughs> X. <laughs> X fashion. That's okay. You know, that's the closest. And for those of you who are listening to this Facebook Live, thank you. Please share the podcast with your friends. And if you are doing a scavenger hunt, please check the box for international model poor in Milan. I brought you that already. Thank you again. You've been listening to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango, Brand Whisperer, top brand growth driver, and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. To learn more, visit www.zenmango.com. Share this podcast with your friends and subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.